Well, Radio Pulpit listeners, it is good to be with you this morning. Even as I was traveling into the station, the traffic lights were off because uh, we seem to find ourselves as a nation in what uh, schedule for load shedding, uh, which creates all kinds of complications on the road whilst one is driving. I imagine if you're driving at the moment, you might also be facing some traffic concerns and <laughs> and problems, um, which makes life a little bit complicated for us. And on top of that, it is freezing. <laughs> I can't believe how cold uh, the weather is up here in Johannesburg and Pretoria this year. Uh, we are certainly facing what feels to me anyway like a colder winter than usual but at the same time you know life goes on <laughs> south africans we seem to tick over and tick over well uh, just uh, uh work carries on we, we're still going into businesses we're still coming into radio shows and uh, we're still interacting and engaging with one another um continuing on with life as we know it this morning uh, on Radio Pulpit you are with me Mark Penrith your host Uh, I'm not being joined by anyone we're going to be doing a questions and answers show this morning Uh, I'm from a church called Crystal Park Baptist Church which is in Benoni on the East Rand they say wise men come from the East (laughs) Um, I might be the exception that proves the rule Um, but uh, in any event it will be good to interact with you and engage on the kinds of biblical questions that you have on your heart and that you would like to talk about shout out to everyone tuning in from my hood in Benoni Uh, On Table Talk, we do normally have various guests who come on and we converse on a range of biblical subjects. So you are used to listening to diversity. I'm really hoping that today we get some interesting, exciting, fascinating questions that we can talk about uh, from God's Word. On the controls this morning, pressing all the buttons and making sure that the lights stay on. Our co-laborer in the ministry, Mpo, my eyes are shocking. (laughs) I just assumed it was you when I walked in. It's good to uh, it's good to be with you today, mate. Um, and just let you know how to interact with us uh, on WhatsApp and Telegram. The telephone number is 082-567-2729. Love voice notes um, on that particular number. You can also interact us with us on Facebook, Radio Pulpit, Radio Console. Uh, you can drop um, into the current live stream comments. We pick that up on the in the control room here. Uh, on Twitter, our Twitter handle is at 657am. Um, and uh, yeah, really looking forward to your questions. Before we get to your questions, we're going to talk about some of the big questions that are facing us as a country. Um, each week I have the the interesting opportunity of speaking to Michael Swain who is a friend of mine uh, working with an organization called 4SA Freedom of Religion South Africa is the executive director of the organization Michael has studied law he has been successful in business he has been involved with church planting and the church um, uh, movement in South Africa um, the 4SA organization which he represents is a legal advocacy organization working to protect and promote the constitutional rights to freedom of religion in South Africa and so yes it's good to be joined uh, together with you Michael uh, this morning how are you doing wonderful to be with you Mark can you hear me okay I can hear you just fine 
Wonderful. Good afternoon. Well, good morning to your listeners. I'm on my way to Johannesburg to join you in the freezing cold. I'm at the airport even as we speak. <laughs> I hope you have packed a beanie, you have packed a scarf, and you have packed some kind of really thick, warm jacket. Um, hopefully the sun is up and uh, it'll be a little bit warm by the time your plane hits the tarmac. Yes, I look forward to being there. I'll be there at about 12. Speaking this afternoon uh, at a conference to pastors uh, at 3 to 5 p.m., so... Uh, it's going to be, a, I think, a very good day. Now, now, Michael, I've been following you and Nadine, who you work with at 4SA, and uh, it's really clear that you guys are ramping up the communication, that you are ramping up the the conversation, particularly around uh, Papuda. Well, I've been scoffing at that name since you first mentioned it a good couple of months ago, um, but starting to get used to hearing about it in the news. Um, this Papuda bull uh, which certainly represents a, a grave challenge facing religious freedom uh, in South Africa. Do you do you want to maybe just you know start off by talking and engaging on that? Yeah, very briefly. Yes, the uh, Papuda is the pr- Promotion of Equality and the Protection from Unfair Discrimination Act. It's an acronym, and it was signed into law in 2000 in its original form to really give effect and teeth to section 9 of the constitution which is the equality clause which obviously says that you cannot be unfairly discriminated against it also includes elements of hate speech as well on a number of protected grounds and so you would think at face value that is a very good thing and uh, obviously you know categories such as race and gender and sex and sexual orientation and many others are protected categories and worthy of protection. The problem has come with the Papuda Amendment Bill, which seeks to expand the definitions of discrimination, of equality, and to extend liability to such an extent that really it amounts to, combined with the opportunity for activists to uh, be able to apply for legal aid to bring cases under the Act, and also government to pass specific regulations and codes of practice uh, to enforce uh, equality or this view of equality on all organizations, uh, NPOs, traditional organizations, uh, community organizations. This is what is problematic about it. It extends this so widely that many, many of the things that you might think would be fairly legitimate that you could say or do would actually then fall foul of this act and potentially land you up in court. And we already, I think I've mentioned on this show before, uh, defending people who have already fallen foul of the existing Papuda Act. In other words, the uh, Papuda mm. Act without these very vast extensions. And some of them are facing literally millions of rands worth of potential um, damages if they are ultimately found to be in breach of this law. Now, Michael, you, you have your finger on the pulse. You you have a fairly good idea of um, of support um, and uh, of resistance against these bills. What's your current feeling just in terms of how this is rolling out? Uh, are, are people submitting uh, their, their, their concerns about this bill through the recommended channels? Are, are people engaging with government? Uh, I mean, before you spoke about bills where like 80,000 responses were received and objections lodged um, before, is is this Papuda bill receiving the same kind of response by the church and by um, civil society in general? 
Well, certainly there's been a tremendous amount of concern because as we've unpacked it and as others have unpacked it, and it's not just the religious sector that's going to be adversely affected, it is all sectors of society that are going to be potentially adversely affected. But as the message perhaps of what this bill actually has the potential of doing in its current form is starting to get out, then I think people are realizing that we need to make our voices heard. And that's the joy of a democracy. There is actually the opportunity until the 30th of June, which is not too far away, uh, for you to make a submission to government. And we, for us, have made it super easy for you to do so. You literally have to go to our website, which is forsa.org.za, and the first thing you're going to see is a submission. And then a couple of clicks, and you can literally send a legal submission through to government, whether you're a church organization or even an individual. And we believe that this is the best possible way. It is the only real way to make sure that a government does hear concerns from citizens. And if we don't take advantage of this, then obviously we have only ourselves to blame when we live with the consequences. So that's what we're encouraging everybody to do. Can I encourage, can I encourage you that I'm fairly sure your campaign is working to one degree or another. I know that during this week, my mom contacted me and said, hey, Mark, are you aware that this is going on? And I said, yes, mom, I've heard about it. She said, should I submit an objection? I said, mom, you should. And just a few minutes later, she came back and said, objection submitted. (laughs) And so uh, you've you've mobilized my mother, brother. (laughs) Well done. (laughs) <laughs> I bet your mum. <laughs> she's a, no, she's, she's it, a good woman. It, it, I, cannot, I cannot tell you how important it is to do that. You know, you mentioned the um, massive pushback against the bill, which you mentioned that I think there were some sixty to 80,000 submissions for that, was the hate crimes and hate speech bill. Now, that would have made basically just about anything that you would have said from the pulpit uh, something which would actually have attracted criminal a liability at that yes. point. It was three-year jail sentence and ten, for first offence and 10-year for a second offence. Well, this bill is is probably as dangerous uh, as anything because also it's the second piece of legislation in the country, Papuda. So all other bills, all other acts of parliament, everything is reviewed in accordance with the provisions of the Equality Bill. And if it's amended in this form, that will mean literally a total overhaul of our legal system to comply with it. So to give you an idea when people didn't respond you may recall last year we were also pushing to try and stop the uh, civil union amendment bill going through which was going to take away conscientious and religious rights from state marriage officers they were going to be forced whether they believed it or not their conscience condemned them or not to solemnize all types of marriage yes and we caught this and when we finally got to the, the last sitting if you like of the of the parliamentary committee they had the submissions uh, that had been made. And on the left-hand side were submissions from the religious community. I think they were about 12 or 15. And on the other side, there were submissions from the uh, LGBT activists who obviously wanted this. And they had about 450 plus, and they were literally falling off the table. And the chairman simply just said, uh, the people have spoken. Mm. And if we don't speak up, if we don't stand up for our rights, we have the right to live out, to speak, to preach, to teach, to pass on our faith to our children. We have a right under the Constitution, but if we do not protect our rights, if we do not stand up for our rights, if we do not make our voices heard, then frankly, we have only ourselves to blame if we end up living in a world where they have been severely eroded and compromised. Uh, I think you've uh, made a great... uh You've made a great argument for getting involved and for connecting. You've, you've already spoken about how people can do that by going to the 4SA website, 
but would you just like to highlight that process again because it is a very simple process that people can follow it is literally a very simple process we've teamed up with an organization that has a brilliant platform for this called dear sa or dear south africa and on our website you go on to www.forsa.org.za and you simply will see up in the slider at the top uh, submission screen you just click it it'll take you through to that site then you literally two or three clicks later you can see by the way on that site all the concerns that we have you can copy you can paste them if you want to you can put in your own concerns and then you click send and that counts as a legal submission and the great thing about legal submissions is that once they're in once they're logged and registered if we ever have to push back constitutionally in other words if government just ignores the tens of thousands of submissions we then have a very good case to go to court with to say that the democratic process is being undermined so it is so important that as many people as possible make submissions. Individuals, churches, pastors, uh, organizations, everybody needs to get involved. I just want to say one last thing in closing. You sure. know, we had the opportunity this week to speak with the United Ulama Council of South Africa. That's the uh, organization that oversees all the Islamic faith groups and what have you. And they really took this on board. I was phoned yesterday by uh, somebody from KZN uh, who's involved there uh, from the Islamic faith. And he said that before the end of the month, every one of the 1600 mosques in KZN will have printed out submissions for their people to sign and they will collect them and they will make sure that they get in. And so they, in one sim simple move, if you like, using their structures are going to be harvesting literally, hopefully tens of thousands of submissions. So would that the church would actually take as active an interest in our religious faith and our religious freedoms uh, that protect our faith rather uh, as the islamic faith do i think that would be a great example to follow at least in that context well as we face these kinds of struggles as a nation i am reminded that god has raised up a a remnant even in our country of people who love and honor him who have put their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and their Savior and who desire to be like cities set on a hill whose light cannot be hid and um, I, I think one of the ways that we uh, are enabled to continue to shine is as we fight this kind of legislation making sure that we can continue to have um, fair voice uh, in the country where God has placed us um, and so yeah looking forward to many of the radio pulpit listeners responding um, as quickly as possible uh, with fervency and uh, and a desire to see the name of Christ made great in our country um, and allow us to continue to proclaim uh, the gospel unhindered uh, in our land. Um, thanks for all that you're doing Michael, really uh, appreciate it. Uh, thanks for making it so easy to um, partner on this particular issue and I, I do hope that uh, you see a surge of folk heading over to the 4SA website um, and, uh, and uh, making responses to the government on this important issue. Thank you, Mark, and thank you so much for your help and support and for all the Radio Pulpit listeners. I really believe that we have the opportunity, if we act now, if we go and do what we can do so easily, www.forsa.org.za, click the submission, make your submission, make your voice heard, because your voice does count. 
And maybe just as a as a final parting shot, thank you, Jian, uh, uh, who went online this morning to submit her objection. Uh, thanks for the informa- uh, information, Michael. Um, and she is writing from Faith Baptist Church in Whitbank. And so, yeah, praise the Lord. Hopefully we have a lot more folk uh, that make sub- submissions even today. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Mark. All the every, best. Every blessing. Cheers. Bye. Well, Radio Pulpit listeners, lovely to be with you this morning. Um, praise the Lord. The um, the studio which I'm in is nice and cozy and warm. And so I am comfortable as I am speaking to you. It is not cold at all in here. Um, I am enjoying sitting down. I have my Bible open. I have uh, the conversations that you guys are engaging with uh, in front of me uh, from Psalm 121, a user currently on uh, WhatsApp uh, asks for a little bit more information regarding the website. What I will do is I will put the 4SA website details into the show notes right now uh, on um, Radio Pulpit. Uh, I will post them in the comments. And uh, Mpo will make sure that they get into the show notes uh, by hook or by crook uh, while uh, while I'm talking. What we're going to do is we're going to we're going to change gears and we are going to start to answer some of the questions that uh, you guys are rolling in regarding uh, the Bible, regarding questions that you have about God's Word, maybe questions that you are working through in terms of application in your own life. Uh, There are so many things this morning that we could talk about, um, so many uh, items that we could engage on. Uh, Let me give you you just a a couple of ideas, uh, a couple of questions that that you might have at the back of your head that you want us to talk about today. Uh, What does the Bible say about women pastors? Um, what does the Bible say about tattoos? Um, what does the Bible say about interracial marriage or Cain's wife or uh, a Christian view of suicide? <laughs> does my pet go to heaven? What happens after I die, the 30 seconds after death? Um, what is the importance of Christian baptism? Where did denominations come from? What does this Bible say about sex before marriage or sex outside of marriage? What does the Bible say about divorce and marriage? Those are just some of the things that we could talk about uh, this morning. I would encourage you to send your questions in using one of the following um, one of the following channels. You can send them in via uh, WhatsApp, the WhatsApp contact details, um, and the number is 082-657-2729. We have got a voice note that we'll be listening to shortly. You can also send comments in via Facebook. Uh, if you find the stream, you can just drop comments in down below on Radio Pulpit Radio Console uh, and of course I do need to uh, greet our Radio Cape Pulpit uh, listeners as well um, and you can also engage with us on Twitter the Twitter handle is at 657 AM we're going to be listening to the first question which comes in from Mandy now good morning my brother I was just wondering, does the Word of God say anything about being cremated? See to the fact that the graveyards are really running out of space. That's my question this morning. All my love in Christ, Monday to four. Monday, that is a really, really good question. Um, it's a good question because it's it's actually relatively complex. 
Um, it's relatively complex because the Bible doesn't say anything specifically about cremation. Uh, there are occurrences in the Old Testament of people being um, burned to death, um, and of, and often there are negative connotations around that. Uh, we do know that human bones were burned, and sometimes in retribution, it was part of an act of war or desire to um, uh, to undermine the people who were being burnt. Um, but 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 really, we don't have uh, any kind of. Uh, uh, direct answer in terms of cremation as we exercise it as a as a mechanism for burial um, today. There, there are a couple of things that we need to keep in mind when it does come to burial. Number one, at the point of death, um, when it comes to a funeral, when it comes to burial, when it comes to cremation, what we're really wanting to do is we're wanting to honor a person who is created in the image of God. And so we're wanting to give um, due reverence to a person um, who we believe had the stamp um, of God on their life, who 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 God created uh, in His own image, and so as we go around the burial process, as we go around. Um, the process of remembering that person we, we want to give proper reverence we want to be very careful as we go about that process at the same time as we read God's word we we do recognize that people were buried in many different ways um, in the Bible uh, Jesus was put into a tomb uh, he was laid to rest on a on a stone uh, tablet it was uh, in all likelihood um, either uh, cut into a hillside uh, certainly wouldn't have been a hole dug in the ground and lowered into a hole uh, the way that we do burials today um, when we think of other burials uh, in God's word um, we uh, we think of uh, the cave of Mamre uh, for instance where uh, that Abraham purchased in order to bury his wife uh, Sarah um, uh, that would have been in a cave again uh, it would have been uh, in all likelihood a raised uh, a raised area rather than a lowered area um, but at the same time we do know that burial was a common practice um, although never commanded in the Bible as the only allowed method for disposing a body I'm just trying to I'm just trying to think in terms of biblical theology of other burials and what comes to mind is Joseph who was embalmed uh, in Egypt and at the end of Genesis was uh, then uh, exhumed and taken back into the promised land um, uh, during the exodus uh, his his body returned uh, to the promised land so in terms of it is cremation something that a Christian can consider uh, I would say because there's no explicit scriptural command against cremation there's no scriptural command um, that one must be buried I would say that that for some believers where this doesn't go against their conscience uh, they are quite entitled uh, to be uh, cremated I, I would though say that um, if this is a matter of conscience um, so in other words you're not actually finding a verse but but your conscience dictates that you shouldn't go about the process of crem cremation then by all means get buried um, I do know that we have a lack of of available land for burial uh, for safe burial and body disposal uh, in Johannesburg I've heard talk uh, in the past about having to um, uh, bury people on top of people and have shared graves uh, in the Johannesburg area um, I, I, I 
I don't even have an opinion on that other than to say as we go about the process of remembering our death our dead we should do so with all due reverence remembering that people are created in the image of of God we have another question which has come in from Penny Strait and again today we are speaking about um, uh, we're doing questions and answers and I would encourage you to get your questions in either via WhatsApp or on Facebook. Uh, your questions can also come in via Twitter. Uh, all that information is available right now in the show notes on Facebook uh, if I understand correctly. If not, they'll be available there shortly. Um, Penny says, good morning, Mark. Early on the program with Vainant and Janine, your guest mentioned that there was a website where we could use the petition template to promote against the Papuda Act, but I can't find the template. Um, let me just quickly go across to Facebook, and uh, on Facebook, in the comments, I have actually put just below your comment, and I will reply to your comment as well, Penny. Um, uh, with the uh, the details for the website where you can go and uh, and respond uh, to the Papuda Act uh, in terms of uh, filling in information and lodging an official objection. Next question we are going to be taking a look at is um, is again related to death, and I, I guess it's picking up on the uh, on the question: What happens uh, when I die? What happens after death? What is the the process that we uh, that that occurs? Um, and there are uh, different views of what happens after we as Christians die. Let me say that. Christianity, uh, God's word, rightfully and rightly teaches that uh, all men die and they're after the judgment. And so that's something that all believers agree on, uh, that all men die. There have been uh, two notable exceptions in God's word uh, in terms of uh, one man who walked with God and another man who was taken up, swept up into heaven at the end of a life of ministry. Um, but those two men aside, the reality is it is appointed according to the book of Hebrews for all man to die and thereafter face judgment. I guess the big question when it comes to death is is what happens the moment after death? Do we do we die and then go into a sleep like state until such time as we are raised and then face the judgment seat uh, of Christ? Um do we die and go into a temporary state? Um, where we pay off our sins, a state maybe called purgatory, um, and then uh, once we've worked off our sins, um, kind of escape by hook or by crook into heaven. And um, what happens after we die? The Bible um, is is has a wealth of information, primarily that we might have confidence, <laughs> that we might not fear uh, death, that great and last enemy, um, but that we might know how we are taken care of um, through this process of death. Um, the Bible doesn't talk about sleep. Um, it doesn't talk about soul sleep, uh, this idea of an intermediary state where we sleep until such time as we stand before the judgment seat. Um, the word sleep is used in the context of death, but it's used in, as, a, as a euphemism for death, uh, in much the, way, much the same way that we might say that uh, somebody has gone to sleep and we are talking about 
um, about death today. Um, it's not saying that uh, we sleep until such time as the judgment. It's just using it as a metaphor um, for death. The Bible, however, does talk uh, about an intermediary state, a state in between um, the point of death. So we are alive, we die, and then a a time um, before such time as we face the judgment. And it talks about where people go during that time. Uh, it talks about either Abraham's bosom or paradise, and it talks about um, Sheol, the, the place of the dead. All who go to paradise are those who have put their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and their Savior. And then at the time of judgment when we are translated, all who are in paradise are translated into heaven. All that are in the place of the dead are translated into hell. And so the question is what happens after we die? Well, we are um, dead and present with the Lord. We are in paradise. We are in. Uh, we are with our Lord and our Savior until such time as uh, as final judgment, and then we are with Him forever and ever, um, uh, worshiping in heaven before His great and glorious throne. I do want to say thanks for the questions that are rolling in. Many, many questions are coming in at the moment. Um, uh, I'm going to be reading a couple. Um, the first is a, a question that comes in from Ishwa. Um, Ishwa has, uh, has posted a passage of scripture when they came to the place that God had told him about. Abram built the altar and arranged wood on it and then he tied up his son Isaac and laid him on top of the wood on the altar. And next Abram picked up the knife and took it in his hand to sacrifice his son. But the messenger of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abram, Abram. Yes, he answered. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Uh, do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you did not refuse to give me your son, your only son. And when Abram looked around, he saw a ram behind him caught by its horns in a bush and so Abraham took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering in place of his son um, that was the passage of scripture that Ishwa put down and he says hi Pastor Mark if God is all-knowing how do you explain the above scripture if God is all-knowing how do you explain the above scripture so um, Ishwa, the, the way that the knowledge of God works, uh, we might talk about the omniscience of God, um, that he is all-knowing, that he knows all things throughout all of time, that God himself is the, the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. The way that this is, is really pieced together um, in terms of uh, a, a relatively simplistic uh, understanding which takes into account all that the Bible says about God uh, would be really to first look at the infinity of God, that God himself in terms of his perfections is infinite. Um, he, he's not just knowing, he is all-knowing. He's not just wise, he's all-wise. He's not just powerful, he is all-powerful. That God is infinite in terms of his attributes. The second step in terms of thinking about the knowledge of God would be to look at the eternality of God, um, uh, this perfection of eternality, that God himself created 
the beginning um, that God himself created all things and that would include time and space and matter that time and space and matter in terms of our linear understanding and progression of history um, exists as a created construct um, by God that God doesn't um, that God transcends time as we know it um, that he doesn't exist in time like we do uh, we're moving through time moment by moment almost like we're watching a movie of our lives always in the immediate present and God doesn't work like that he he has created time he understands time from its beginning to its end um, so that God can look throughout the whole of time and determine um, how he might act in time and nothing ever catches God by surprise nothing ever catches him um, or thwarts his plan um, God himself is the writer of the beginning from the end and so as we look at um, at passages like this where um, God um, basically gives uh, a command to Abraham and then Abraham goes about uh, executing that command and then God saying to Abraham um, this is what I'm going to do based on your response God at every moment in time both past and future and present at that moment knew exactly what Abraham was going to do it's not like he was waiting and hoping that Abraham might do one thing uh, or he might have to respond in another way God knew what Abraham's uh, ultimate answers would be and he was already prepared uh, in terms of what his response to that uh, would be nothing catches God off his throne or catches God by surprise great question um, a fascinating text from the book of Genesis I'm now starting to lose track in terms of all the questions that are coming through uh, thanks guys for interacting and maybe just for those who are listening in this morning we are doing a Q&A uh, with myself Mark Penrith uh, who is hosting Table Talk uh, on Radio Pulpit and you can engage with us uh, we really do invite you to join the conversation uh, as we speak we want you to engage with questions or comments that you have on your mind how might you do that you ask well you can go to Facebook uh, on Facebook uh, Radio Pulpit or Radio Console you can go to the live stream which is currently there and you can paste your questions into the comments we pick them up on our Star Trek monitor over here and know what you are saying and uh, and and uh, can read the questions that you are that are coming through. Uh, you can also engage with us on Twitter if you are a tweeter. <laughs> if you are on uh, on Twitter, you can engage with us on the Twitter handle uh, at six five seven AM, um, and then on WhatsApp. The telephone number is oh eight two six five seven two seven two nine. Let me repeat that oh eight two six five seven two seven two nine you can send your questions in via whatsapp um, or via telegram uh, to that number really enjoy listening to voice notes uh, as those come through always great to hear your voices um, let me just uh, read a question that comes in from Anthea good morning I just believe that we must all just forgive forget love and move on in life um, because life is way too short um, and then she gives an example um, of uh, a, a, a death which she has experienced um, and, and the closeness um, just before 
the passing. Uh, thanks for that comment, uh, Anthea. Uh, and in terms of forgiveness, forgiveness is a very important teaching um, the whole way through the Bible. Um, I, I think of Jesus Christ's uh, own words um, to his disciples regarding forgiveness and the importance of forgiveness. Um, I, I even think of the Lord's Prayer when he teaches his disciples to pray. Um, and as they pray and as he teaches them to pray, to pray to our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us as we forgive others. Uh, uh, just this, the importance of forgiveness and the importance of a relational um of the relationships that we have around us and uh, and forgiveness as far as that is concerned. Uh, Ishwa has a follow-on question. Uh, he says, uh, if God is all-knowing, how do you explain the above scripture? Um, uh, Ishwa, I, I, I must be honest. Uh, I, I think, I actually, I, I think that's the same question. Uh, I'm just reading it a second time. Um, uh, Anthea says, uh, thanks for putting it uh, so simply and mildly, uh, and now I understand better. Well, thanks for that interaction. Really appreciate it. Um, as we go through questions and answers, um, and as we engage with one another uh, on this platform, and as you uh, think through questions that you might have um, that you would like us to engage with on the show this morning, let me just say that questions are a very important part of who we are as Christians um, we, God has created us right in his image uh, we, are, we are thinking we have got intellect we have the ability to engage with the world around us as, as we go through that process and, and, and as we come to his word um, uh, questions naturally arise well why do they arise well they arise in part because sometimes we are sinful and our sin gets in the way of, uh, of understanding uh, other times they arise because the world and the contexts in which we find ourselves uh, are almost like a, like tinted glasses uh, on our eyes, uh, causing us not to see the world like God sees it. And so we have questions as to why God would say one thing and the world um, is going another way. One of the other reasons why we have questions is because we are not omniscient, right? We are not all-knowing in the same way that God is all-knowing. Um, and so we don't understand everything, um, even understand everything the way that God has revealed everything in his word. One of the other reasons why we have so many questions is because the Bible as a book was written by 40 authors it was written over a period of 1,500 years. It was written on three different continents. It was written in three different languages. Um, it was written uh, thousands and thousands of years ago. And so as a re result, because we are separated from the original authors in terms of culture, in terms of language, in terms of time, um, in terms of, uh, of, of great distance, even geographic distance, as we read God's Word, it is sometimes a complex book to understand. Now, that's not to say that God's Word can't be understood. It certainly can be. Um, and I have no doubt that even a child reading through the pages of Scripture can get to the big elements that God is conveying through His Word. But sometimes when we get to the, to the nitty-gritty questions, uh, individual verses, or the complexities that are before us, Sometimes we really struggle with those, and uh, and that is when 
It is helpful to have teachers, to have um, pastors, to have Bible study leaders, to have mature friends in the faith close by that we can lean on, uh, that we can call on uh, to help us work through some of the complexities in God's Word. I guess in some ways that that does bring up a a favorite topic of mine, which is uh, church membership uh, and the need for us as believers to be hooked into local churches um, where we can get involved in ministries, where we can get involved in um, in spreading the gospel evangelism, where we can fellowship with one another and, and exercise the various different one another's of scripture where we can uh, engage with one another and worship God together uh, as a body. Uh, But one of the key reasons why we connect with the local church is so that we can come together around God's Word uh, and spend time reflecting on God's Word and understanding God's Word and having God's Word applied in a way that we can understand it. And so the local church is an incredibly important building block uh, for believers uh, to grow both in their knowledge and in their love uh, for God. Just as uh, as more questions are coming through, I'm going to give some opportunity to the control to listen to them um, before we possibly play them. Um, but but just yeah, so important that we are in local churches where real discipleship is happening. Um, discipleship isn't a program which is run, um, a, a program where for you know you kind of get together and have a cup of coffee and shoot the breeze for an hour and um, discipleship is where real life happens where you can I- engage uh, older men with younger men older women with younger women you can engage around the matters that you are facing in life and see how God's word applies to those matters discipleship is how we grow together toward the image of Jesus Christ as our Lord and our Savior, sharpening one another and encouraging one another and exhorting one another um, that God might be glorified uh, in our midst. I really encourage uh, listeners to find a local church uh, close enough to you that you can do life together with the people that are there, um, a local church which ultimately Um, is a place where you can grow towards the image of God. We're going to listen to a question right now that comes in from Glenn. Good morning, my name is Glenn. Uh, Just a question I'd like to ask. I find that there's so many translations of the Bible. You get a New Living Translation, the New NIV, uh, the the Message Bible, uh, King James Bible, and all these different translations. Uh, some people uh, believe that one translation is right and the others are all wrong. Uh, for argument's sake, uh, there's some people that believe that the Holy Spirit is the same as God's force. But you take in Genesis where they say God's force dwelled over the waters in small letters. But where Jesus Christ was taken up into heaven, he says, I leave you the helper, the Holy Spirit. Uh, I will pray the Father leaves you the helper, the Holy Spirit. And that's in capital letters. So how can, how, how many translations do you get and how do people translate the, the Bible incorrectly or correctly? Just a question that I've asked 
what translation would then be the right translation? Because, I mean, God's force and the Holy Spirit are the same thing. So why is it written as God's force and not the Holy Spirit? Thank you. Have a good day. Glenn, I love that question. That is a wonderful question. It's uh, the translations of the Bible. Why so many? And is one translation the right translation? Excellent question. Let me start off by saying that there are three primary reasons for the different English Bible translation. Uh, then I'm going to just add a, a fourth reason for, for those who are cynical. So the first reason why there are different English Bible translations is because language does change. Uh, the meaning of English words change over time. It becomes necessary to update the translation to retain the integrity to the original intent. By original intent, I mean the Bible wasn't written in English. It, the Old Testament was written primarily in Hebrew with a smattering of Aramaic. The New Testament was written primarily in Greek with smatterings of Hebrew and a smattering of Aramaic here, there, and, uh, and not so much everywhere, but here and there. Um, and so because the Bible was written in different languages, uh, we translate out of that language into English. But English is just a crazy language. It's constantly changing. Um, uh, as a language, English evolves incredibly quickly, um, mainly because we borrow so heavily from the cultures around us. <laughs> English, in many ways, um, is a... Uh, or actually, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to go and say it's, a, it's, a, it's the kind of language which colonizes, but it's the kind of language which steals... <laughs> <laughs> from all over the place. Let me give you a couple of examples. Um, English, the word felt, um, is the same as Afrikaans felt because we stole that from the Afrikaans language. In English, the word tsunami is the same as the Japanese word tsunami because we stole that from the Japanese. English is constantly stealing words from other languages and as a result, English is constantly changing. It's constantly growing. It's constantly shifting. And so one of the reasons why we have different translations and new translations is because our language actually changes. Number two, translation methods, okay? We have different translations because there are different methods for translating from one language into another. Let me explain to you what I mean. One method for translating from Greek into English would be to be very literal. So as word for word as possible. The difficulty with the literal translation, with the word-for-word -word translation, is it's relatively wooden, <laughs> and it doesn't always convey. It doesn't always convey what the author meant to say. Often, it conveys um, exactly the words uh, in terms of a straight translation that the author chose, um, but an author might, in their language, use a euphemism or use a metaphor which doesn't translate well into English or wouldn't be understood in terms of our fair use uh, in the English language. And, and so another mechanism, another translation method um, for translating from one language to another, in this case in the New Testament, from Greek into English, would be to use a thought-for-thought -thought translation. Now the advantage of a thought-for-thought -thought translation is you can translate translate metaphors better and you can con translate euphemisms better but sometimes what happens is as you are going through the translation process 
um, you move away from pure translation and you move into the area of interpretation. Um, and so from that perspective, it, it is a different method for translation. The third reason why there are so many translations uh, is because of source texts. Um, there are two primary, and this is quite important, there's two primary Greek texts which translators use. The first is called Textus Receptus, uh, or the received text, okay, which was compiled by a man named Erasmus in the 1500s, and it forms the basis behind the King James and the New King James Version. The second source text uses what's called the eclectic method um, and that considers both external and internal evidences to determine the most likely original text and pretty much all the other Bible translations use this source text or source texts that use this method. Now I said there were <laughs> three reasons why we have so many translations. I'm going to add a fourth for the cynical amongst us and just say <laughs> that there is a reality that uh, Bible translations are often owned by companies which sell Bibles uh, and so there is a revenue um, uh, reality that we do need to consider uh, in terms of why sometimes translations make it to market. What are the what are the viable English options that are out there? And I'm actually reading from a document which I compiled um, a few uh, years ago. Um, it's available on the Crystal Park Baptist Church website. If you type in Crystal Park Baptist Church into Google and then after it just type in either Bible translations or type in Christian Standard Bible, you'll get to the article which I'm using as my source right now. But the question is, if there are many different translations because of these four reasons, language changes, translation changes, source text and revenue, what are the English options that are out there? So uh, the top 10 English translations are the New International Standard Version uh, in terms of the number one bestseller at the time that I compiled this article, followed by the King James Version, the English Standard Version, the New Living Translation, the Christian Standard Bible, the New King James Version, uh, the Message, the New International Reader's Version, and the New American Standard Bible. The, those are those are nine out of the top ten. In actual fact, one of the one of the translations that makes it into the top ten isn't an English translation, so I'm not even going to consider that. Um, but that's nine out of the top ten um, that were available uh, when this document was compiled. So. Each one of those translations are using the mechanisms which I described at the beginning in terms of language, in terms of methodology, in terms of source text, um, in order to create um, the translation which is before us. Uh, and I'm not talking about Afrikaans translations, the O Vertaling, the Nieuwe Vertaling, and uh, the Babel for Amal. Um, I'm just talking right now about the English translations. Um, so, so what characterizes each one of those translations? Well, the New American, uh, the New International Version, um, which was produced in 2011, replaced a New International Version which had been uh, uh, produced and published in 1984, um, and they discontinued the 1984 New International Version. The 2011 version is a thought-for-thought -thought or a dynamic equivalence translation rather than a word-for-word -word translation. It also uses gender-neutral translation rules 
Um, and so organizations such as the Council on Biblical Manhood and Womanhood are stated, have stated that they wouldn't recommend the NIV 2011 because of over 3,600 gender-related problematic passages which they have picked up. The next translation is the King James Version. The King James Version is certainly um, uh, a a long-standing faithful um, translation of God's Word. The most read edition would be the 1611, uh, that is 1611, that's when it was produced, so we're talking over 400 years ago, um, and it was translated from the Textus Receptus, as I've said before. Um, it is a deeply revered English Bible, uh, which is as literal a translation, it is precision, it is as well, I mean, it's beautiful, uh, majestic. Uh, the way that it handles the Psalms in particular is wonderful. You'll notice if you've ever heard me um, uh, quote passages of Scripture, uh, sometimes I just can't help it. I, I, I quote from the King Jameseth. <laughs> um, I think of uh, the Great Commission when I get to the end. I, I say, but lo, I will be with you always to the end of the age. I just, I can't help but, but slip into King James language. Uh, the third translation, the English Standard Bible, is a revision of the Revised Standard Version. It's published by Crossway. It had J.R. Packer as its general editor. It follows a literal word-for-word -word translation philosophy, uh, capturing the precise wording and personal style of each biblical writer as far as possible, and takes into account the differences of grammar and syntax and idiomatic phrases between current literal uh, English and original languages. It's more literal than the NRV 2011, but more fluent and more colloquial than the uh, New American Standard Bible. I'm not going to go through all of these translations, but let me use the New Living Translation as an example again of the dynamic equivalent or a um, an interpretive uh, translation. Uh, it translates entire thoughts rather than just words into natural everyday English. Um, and so as a result, the New Living Translation sometimes interprets rather than translates from the original language. My, my um, Bible translation of choice is the Christian Standard Bible um, and that is an update of the Holman Christian Standard Bible. Uh, it uses original Greek um, and Hebrew texts. In other words, it was a, it was a fresh translation um, and it uses what's called optimal equivalence in terms of its methodology, seeking to combine the best features of formal equivalence, word for word, and dynamic equivalence, thought for thought. Um, and so in places where a literal rending might be unclear, a more dynamic translation is given. Uh, and in a handful of instances, the CSB has opted for more gender-neutral rendering of some biblical wording. Um, the Council of Biblical Manhood and Womanhood have an article specifically on the Christian Standard Bible. As we, as we consider the Bibles, my my suggestion to a person who really wants to take trans translation seriously is you must consider an evaluation of the translation methods and then an evaluation of the source texts. So now you, that you understand why are there different translations, it is better rather than just to 
pull the translation off the shelf and go for either the cheapest one or the one that has a leather cover or the one which has gold pages or, you know, base it on, on the way that the Bible looks. R- rather actually evaluate first the translation method and then the source texts which are being used. So as far as the translation method is concerned, whilst dynamic equivalence or thoughtful thought is useful to encourage the reading of God's word amongst children uh, and adults, um, the danger of interpretation of words over the translation of words makes it problematic for the study of scripture. Now, formal equivalents, um, that's the word-for-word translations, are much more useful for studying God's Word. But the disadvantage, obviously, is that they're less accessible for reading, uh, for the reading experience. And so, uh, from my perspective at least, especially for the adoption as a translation um, to be used in corporate worship in South Africa, where the context of a suburban church would include first, second, and sometimes even third language English speakers, as well as an intergenerational community made up of um, uh, older folk and younger folk, as well as a a community which has got a socioeconomic divide, a wealthy folk, poor folk, educated folk, uneducated folk, it seems best to find a translation which captures as much of both of those worlds as possible. So both the thought-for-thought as well as that word-for-word translation method. Then as far as the source texts are concerned, (coughs) excuse me, as far as the the thought, uh, the source texts are concerned, um, there the conversation is very intricate and very complex. Um, in that one really needs to make the decision um, as to whether or not the textus receptus is going to be the received text in terms of the Greek language uh, that you use for your translation, um, or if you are going to use the eclectic texts. Now. Um, There are arguments both for and against. I I don't think that your question really wants to delve into that, although I'm I'm quite willing to delve into that if you want to. Um, You're welcome to ask a follow-up question uh, regarding it. Um, But at the end of the day, when when it comes to the source texts, I would tend for the older um, and therefore more trustworthy um, manuscripts that are available. Um, it's a manuscript set that are called the Alexandrian texts. Um, I'm quite comfortable that those represent as close to the original manuscripts uh, that we can find. I do believe that God has perfectly preserved his word in heaven and has faithfully preserved his word on earth. And I think that the Alexandrian texts are the are the are the best source Greek texts that we can use uh, in terms of the translations that we have. Uh, and so based on all of that, and as you bring that all together, the question is um, if you accept that the Textus Receptus and literal versions are going to be the King James and the New King James, but if you say I'm actually looking for texts that are based on the Alexandrian text, the eclectic method, I don't want to have a dynamic Version, so I'm going to not look at the new American version, uh, the new international version, or the new Living Translation, or the new international readers' version, or the message. But I'm looking for a literal, a more word-for-word translation, um, but a translation that allows for some diversity. Your options are really going to be either the New American Standard Bible, the English Standard Version, or the Christian Standard Bible. Um, those are the top 
contenders um, and as I consider those three contenders uh, the ESV the NASB and the CSB um, I, I settled for myself as well as for our church on the Christian Standard Bible and the reason for that is threefold I mean I'm giving you quite a comprehensive answer I hope this is helpful to you and um, but the reason is threefold one is because of continuity um, we had been using the Holman Christian Standard Bible up until the time that the Christian Standard Bible came onto the market and we felt that there would be continuity uh, in terms of adopting the Christian Standard Bible number two is accessibility the Christian Standard Bible is relatively easy to read um, it, it's a pleasure to read it's the kind of um, Bible that you can pick up every day and read um, we have a number of people in our church that are reading through the New Testament in three months which means basically that they set themselves the goal of reading around four chapters a day um, it is an easy Bible to read and it's an easy Bible to understand but it is also faithful um, God's word has been translated with integrity so that it can be trusted uh, and from that perspective a very very useful translation but at the same time let me say Glenn um, that while our preaching at church is often from the Christian Standard Bible, our elders and visiting preachers are free to choose from whichever version they choose, which includes the CSB and the ESV and the NASV or even the King James or the New King James Version, um, which can be read in church prior to the sermon. Um, whilst the CSB is adopted as our default version, our elders are also free to promote other versions as they see fit, um, as you've even heard me doing uh, now in terms of the King James, particularly as it, it reads so well in the Psalms. Um, and we have no expectation that our members would uniformly adopt uh, that particular version, but we do recommend that each member uh, use a version which is most suited to them. We just really want people to be reading God's Word, <laughs> uh, studying God's Word and understanding God's Word and then applying God's Word into their lives. Um, I hope that that is helpful to you. Um, uh, we have got a reply from Glenn. Uh, we're going to just listen to it now. Thank you. Your message was perfect. I now am happy with what I'm going to choose and what I, my choices are. I really appreciate your explanation in great detail. God bless you, my brother. God bless you. Thank you. Brother, yeah, so, so excited. That, that was a really good question, and I thoroughly enjoyed giving the answer. Um, I hope I haven't put other people to sleep that were listening in, um, that, uh, that folk uh, got some information. Um, in fact, I, I imagined, even as I was talking, that maybe some other questions have, ar have arisen, or, or maybe you've been exposed to something that you don't know. Uh, that's okay. <laughs> Go and search for answers. Um, you, you you know what happened to me a couple of years ago. I I, I was um, I was sitting in a in a service and uh, I was listening to a message and I became aware uh, that the passage uh, that uh, was being taught on uh, there were alternate readings. Um, uh, there were alternate 
possible interpretations or translations uh, of this particular passage. Um, and that so unsettled me um, because I truly believe that the Bible is the very word of God, the very word of God. And I was so unsettled by by the possibility of diversity of uh, of interpretation uh, and translation um, that, that, that it really became kind of a, a bit of a shake up of my faith. So I, I committed at that stage to going away and this is pretty much part of the reason why I've ended up being a pastor. Uh, I committed to going away and studying the Greek language so that I could understand um, what the Bible actually said in the original languages and so that I could also discern um, if uh, if the Bible was as trustworthy as I believed it to be. I've now spent the last 15 years studying God's Word. I've spent time studying uh, in the original language. I've spent time studying uh, English translations. I've spent time studying the theologies of God's Word, um, uh, the uh, exegesis, and uh, which means like how to read it and how to kind of put it together uh, as well as how to proclaim it and preach it of God's word. After all of that study and after um, digging around to try and really grapple uh, with these kinds of questions, I have come to the conclusion that God has perfectly preserved his word in heaven and has faithfully preserved his word on earth, that we can trust his word um, and uh, and that... Uh, uh, and and that we can stake our faith, um, our conduct, and our doctrine upon God's word. Folk, I'm looking at the time. I can't believe it. It is quarter past ten already. Um, clearly, uh, I waffled on far too long on that last question. Um, we are going to go to a short musical interlude followed by um, some advertising break. Uh, and I look forward to engaging with you for the next 45 minutes of the show after we listen to In I Leaf Ons. Well, fuck, it is great to be with you. Now, I wish I was with you for the second hour, but I can't believe it's already 20 past 10. Time is flying when I nerd out. <laughs> and I definitely nerded out on that question from Glenn. Glenn, great question regarding translations. You clearly hit a chord because a number of other people are coming back with uh, with uh, comments and with further questions. I, I see uh, comments from Neil Hunter. Lovely to have you on the show. Uh, from Abu, from Joan, uh, as well as from uh, Hriti uh, and Lester. Uh, in, in fact, uh, Lester uh, has a has a question rather than a comment, and uh, thanks everybody for engaging. Folk, in actual fact, there's so much engagement, I, I can't even get through it all. Uh, let me just read Lester's question. It says, what about the Passion Translation? Did Louis Giglio translate it? Um, and that's from Lester uh, von Rensburg. Uh, great question. Um, I'm not going to speak as an ex absolute expert on the Passion Translation because I, I, I've chosen not to read it and I'll explain to you to why. Firstly, um, no, Louis Giglio didn't translate it, although it bears the same name as the conferences uh, which he hosts, the Passion Conferences, including the church which he pastors, uh, Passion City, I think, uh, the church which he pastors. Um, there might be a connection in terms of marketing, 
between the translation and him, but uh, I'm not aware uh, that of that link uh, per se. Um, let me say that if you had to draw a line, your interpretation has gone into taking that which was originally written into Greek and now translating it or interpreting it and presenting it to readers in English. The more interpretive you are, the less likely you as the reader are going to be able to understand what the original intention of the author was who wrote the work. Ultimately, you don't want to know what the what the translator, or in this case the interpreter, has to say. You really want to know what Jesus said, or what Paul said, or what the writer to the Hebrews said, or what the Apostle John said, or the Apostle Peter said. You, you want to know what those writers said, so that you can understand first what they said to their original audience, um, and so that you can then understand what did they mean, and, and why they said it, and then you can apply that into your own life. If you get too interpretive, the reality is you're you're rather uh, you you kind of creating a shadow between the original author um, and now you as the current reader, and you want to stay away from that. And so, um, whilst I recognise that that translation or that interpretation might sit in uh, on on the on the spectrum of translations on our line uh, i would say the further left you go uh, the less helpful a translation is going to be for actual practical bible study Another great question came in from Peter. Um, Peter says that he's only caught the the second bit of the of the show. Um, clearly uh, picked up on the translation and the discussion around translations. And then he asks the question um, regarding uh, commentaries. Like, what commentaries are? Well, he's actually asking my favourite set of commentaries to use. And uh, Peter, that's a that's a really that's a really nice question. I, I, I like it. Uh, I've already dropped into the show notes um, a website, preceptaustin.org, org, um, and I would commend listeners to go to it. It's a great website to get faithful and trustworthy commentary uh, on all the books of the Bible. Um, uh, they compile them and they produce them and they even, um, they even lay them out in terms of, uh, well, the author of precept also in any ways perceived um, um, a value of the translations they often also give uh, Spurgeon's uh, comments uh, on the commentary which is quite helpful and gives you an idea of uh, the way that the commentaries um, work when I went into full-time ministry at Crystal Park Baptist Church I, I, I resigned from my job at the time I was working for an IT company and uh, they gave me a going away gift, uh, some cash um, and I took that and I went to a great bookstore uh, up here in Gauteng uh, they, they've got two branches, one is in Pretoria and the other one is in Johannesburg uh, Good Neighbours and Augustine Bookram um, I went into either Good Neighbours or Augustine Bookram and I ordered for myself a complete set of Calvin's commentaries on the whole Bible and uh, I guess that would tell you my theological bent. Um, and I can truthfully say, I, I mean, you could download Calvin's commentaries and, and read them online for free. <laughs> they, they're available. Um, but I wanted, uh, I wanted the book in my hands. The other set of commentaries which I purchased for myself is a set of uh, Albert Barnes commentaries. I also purchased a set of Matthew Henry's commentaries. And then I started to 
purchase more modern uh, and contemporary commentaries uh, let me say rather than give a list of each commentary which I found useful on each book of the Bible uh, my suggestion would be to go into a good bookstore or to um, speak to a good pastor and on each book find out who is the best commentators on that specific book. I can tell you as I read the Old Testament I really enjoyed the commentary and this is a con temporary commentator you can download his commentary notes for free they are available on precept austin i've really enjoyed william barrack um william barrack is a professor for the old testament at a um at a university called the master's seminary a seminary in the states the master's seminary it's quite uh, connected with grace community church which is where john MacArthur is um william barrack I, I, i've thoroughly enjoyed his commentary notes um as i've been working uh, recently through the book of ecclesiastes um but i've also found um value in quite a wide range of commentators um as i've gone through new testament books and old testament books um i, I would say that the best place to find healthy good commentaries is on if you're looking for digital and free go to preceptaustin.org and if you're wanting to pay you know like put down a little bit of green <laughs> pay a little bit of cash go to a go to a book room like augustine or good neighbors and ask for advice uh, i i know factually that um the pastors of those churches i think it's constantia cliff baptist church and the english reformed church on the west rand the pastors of those churches actually vet the books that are in their book rooms um, which means that you are going to get um, a carefully curated set of commentaries on various different uh, subjects and i've always found uh, them very useful bookstores um, but short of that speak to a pastor that you trust if you're looking for a commentary on a specific book um, uh, speak to a pastor that you've heard preach most pastors you know even the really big guys are available um uh, online you can send in a question if you hear a great sermon from a great preacher let's say a uh, steve lawson uh, you hear steve lawson preaching a sermon uh, on the book of galatians uh, that man is approachable I, i've sat with him in my office actually he preached at uh, crystal park baptist church um he he will he will tell you what are great commentaries on the book of galatians joel beakey another excellent preacher again he's preached at crystal park baptist church uh, he will spend he'll spend time telling you uh, the kinds of people that have influenced him from a commentary perspective if you just send a note uh, into the website uh, which represents the ministry uh, which he runs guys uh, thank you so much for the questions um, I, it looks like today has kind of um, become <laughs> a conversation about uh, Bible translations um, I've noticed a, a, a number of questions coming through regarding it uh, we, we, we will talk a little bit about specific texts and the translation of specific words I see one or two questions have come in that are, are very specific on specific verses that might be helpful let me just read a question which comes in from Teresa, a long time listener with a drum roll uh, greetings all, I hope you're all good, kindly comment on this a believer is under the impression that they have been praying in angelic tongues then later on in life, they hear other religious groups that are not Christian praying exactly the same way. <laughs> How would you respond to that? Asking for a, for a friend with a smiley face next to it. Thanks in advance. Hey, brother. Um, <clears throat> yeah, that must have been a little bit unsettling uh, for your friend um, to hear that... Uh, 
that that this kind of practice happens across uh, across religious groups. Let me say it would probably be answered in one of two ways. Um, uh, it's possible that it would be answered by saying that that which Satan sees uh, in terms of authentic practice, Satan will mimic in terms of satanic pre- practice. I've I've heard it I've heard it answered like that uh, in the past. I, I want to answer it from a biblical perspective, um, and I want to take us to the verse that talks about angelic tongues because I think that would probably be useful and so let me just open up my bible to the book of corinthians 1 corinthians and we are going to turn to the 13th chapter and in the 13th chapter of 1 corinthians we have this voice if i speak in human or angelic tongues but do not have love i am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal that's the passage where this idea of angelic tongues come from what I actually want to do is just go one chapter back and read the end of chapter 12. <clears throat> In chapter 12, verse 27, we read the following. Now you are the body of Christ and individual members of it and God has appointed these in the church first apostles second prophets third teachers next miracles then gifts of healing helping leading various kinds of tongues and then the rhetorical question are all apostles I mean the obvious answer is no Um, are all prophets again the obvious answer is no are all teachers well definitely the obvious answer is no do all do miracles again the obvious answer is no do all have gifts of healing the obvious answer is no do all speak in tongues the obvious answer is no do all interpret the obvious answer is no but desire the greater gifts and I will show you an even better way I will show you an even better way, says the Apostle Paul. I'm just pulling up the Greek uh, uh, quickly, and as quickly as I can. Let me click on all translations over here, and let me scroll down to the Greek language. My eyes aren't working like they used to. Everything's a little bit of a blur in front of me, <laughs> which is not useful when you're trying to find something on the fly there's greek i've clicked on it and um, i want us to just take a look very briefly at the 31st verse of 1 corinthians chapter 12 it says but desire the greater gifts and i will show you an even better way um and as we're taking a look um at that passage um i i uh, uh Um, what I want to what I want to um, point out is that um, Paul the apostle is now going to demonstrate something which is even better than all of these amazing gifts uh, which he has just been speaking about. He he goes on in verse thirteen to say, "If I speak human or angelic tongues, but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and understand all the mysteries and all knowledge and I have all faith so that I can move mountains but do not have love I am nothing and if I give away all my possessions and if I give over my body in order to boast but do not have love I gain nothing I guess where I'm wanting to put the emphasis here is on the hyperbola which 
Paul is using. In actual fact, that, that word hyperbola, which in English means, you, you know, when you, you make something bigger than what it actually is in order to uh, accentuate or emphasize your point. Um, he actually uses that word hyperbola uh, in chapter 12, verse 31, uh, in the Greek where it says, and I will show you an even uh, better way. Uh, the the actual word which he's using here is hyperbolon, uh, which is where we get the English word hyperbola from. Um, and, and so in chapter 13 from verse 1 to 3, what we have is a whole lot of hyperbola. Now we're going to work backwards from verse 3 where he says, if I give over my body to boast. I mean, this is the greatest act <laughs> that a person could do. He's saying, if you even had to lay down your body, but you don't have love you are nothing he's using hyperbola um when he says i have all knowledge well you don't have all knowledge i have all faith so that i can even move mountains but don't have love i'm nothing he's using hyperbola yeah if you go now back to verse one if he says if i speak human or angelic tongues in other words i speak every single language to man but not only that i also speak the language of the angels in heaven above <laughs> but i don't have love I am nothing. What Paul isn't doing is he's not saying, hey, listen, yeah, there's a there's an angelic tongue, and not only do you need to learn if you want to be the most loving person on the planet, not only do you need to learn English, and, well, let's go through the 11 languages of South Africa. I'm going to go with English, Afrikaans, Zulu, and then I'll start getting, you know, because you've got Suti and you've got... Um, and you've got Koi and uh, you go through all those 11 languages then you add the folk that are kind of coming from further north the Chichewa and uh, uh, other languages Arabic even further north uh, Mandarin from the Chinese people you know all the languages of humans and you even know the languages that the Archangel Michael whispers into the Archangel Gabriel's ear he's using hyperbola and then he says but you don't have love in actual fact you are nothing um, uh, the use of angelic tongues in 1 Corinthians 13 isn't a command that we must learn this tongue. Uh, it is hyperbola. Uh, it, it is to say, hey, listen, yeah, you don't know every single human language and you don't know the languages of the angels above. Um, what you really need is something which is even better, which is love. That's what we need. That's the whole point of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. What we've done is we've taken just that little phrase, angelic tongues, and said, well, the Bible clearly talks that we clearly teaches that we can speak in angelic languages based on 1 Corinthians 13. And so I'm now, based on this verse, taken completely out of context. I'm going to build an entire theology uh, of, uh, of speaking in languages that can't be understood by man, when in actual fact, that's not the point of this particular text. Now, you might be able to make that point in other texts, although I think you're going to have a tough time uh, when it actually comes down to it, but you definitely can't make it from this text. And this is the biblical text which is under the spotlight right now because this is the question which was asked by Teresa. And he makes the point that this kind of babbling, um, this kind of languages which are not understood by men, um, it is spoken of in religions other than just Christianity and how concerning that can be as a person appropriates that knowledge. Um, on behalf of your friend, Teresa, I'm so sad that uh, his world has been rocked um, by that reality. Um, at the same time, take confidence. 
that uh, the Christian faith is a true faith that really we seek Jesus Christ as our Lord and our Savior and we seek to love God and we seek to love our neighbor even as we love ourselves and in terms of the context of 1 Corinthians chapter 13 verse 1 and following it is talking about love uh, primarily rather than the angelic languages uh, which you brought up in your question a uh, great question really enjoyed it um, I'm just taking a look and seeing if I can spot another question quickly um, th there's a question that I've seen before regarding the mark of the beast uh, and the COVID vaccine uh, the mark of the beast I think is spoken about in Revelation is it chapter 13 or chapter 18 um, Let's go to chapter 13 and just type in the word beast. And I saw the beast coming out of the sea and it had ten horns and seven heads. And on its horns were ten crowns and on its head were blasphemous names. And the beast was like a leopard. His feet were like a bear and his mouth was like a lion's mouth. And the dragon gave the beast his power, his throne and great authority. And one of the heads appeared to be fatally wounded. Um, but its fatal wound was healed and the whole earth was amazed. And it continues to talk about this. Um, this beast and as we go down to verse 16 it, it makes everyone small and great rich and poor free and slave to receive a mark on his right hand or on his forehead so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark the beast's name or the number of its name and the question is is Revelation chapter 13 verse 16 and 17 speaking about the COVID vaccine so let me say that there are different ways to interpret the book of Revelation. There are different ways to interpret the book of Revelation. And I don't want to force my interpretation um, <laughs> on everyone, but I can only answer Revelation as I read Revelation, right? Um, and this is the way that I read Revelation. The, the first three chapters of Revelation contain the word church repeated over and over and over again. There are seven letters to seven churches uh, that Jesus is dictating to the Apostle John. Uh, the church, the local church, the church of Sardis, Laodicea, uh, the church of... Um, uh, of uh, of Ephesus and other churches are, are the central focus of those first three chapters and then woof the church is gone uh, it's just it just it's gone from the book of Revelation all the way until we get to the end of the book as Jerusalem descends uh, from heaven uh, as we get to the final chapters of the book and God's people uh, return to earth um, first as a kingdom is set up that Jesus Christ himself um, reigns and rules over uh, and then later as uh, Jerusalem and new heavens and new earth are created what are we to make uh, of that reality that the church is missing in the interim period uh, of Revelation chapter 4 all the way to Revelation chapter 19 and, and and my interpretation of Revelation would say that the church, as we read the rest of Scripture and understand the rest of Scripture, has at that stage been raptured. We would call that a pre-tribulational rapture. And that the events that happen through the book of Revelation, the seven years of tribulation, are years where the church is not in the picture anymore. And so when we come to Revelation chapter 13, that mark of the beast happens during a period of time when the church is not in the picture. And so in terms of answering the question that has been asked, um, is 
the current COVID vaccine, the mark of the beast? I'd have to say no, because the church seems to be all around us still. Uh, the church of Jesus Christ. The rapture has not happened. The, the seven-year tribulation period has not begun. We haven't seen the bowls, the, the, the trumpets, and the seals broken. Uh, and so until that time, in terms of world history, um, because that time hasn't started, the current vaccine clearly doesn't uh, isn't happening in terms of the rollout of, of the book of Revelation. However, um, we do see a number of things which Revelation speaks about starting to come into focus. Like all of a sudden, you know, after what was it, 1940, I'm going to stab at 49, the nation of Israel um, receiving land in the Middle East, you know, this nation which in, for all intents and purposes had been scattered uh, to the four corners of the world, all of a sudden regathered uh, and we see moves towards an end game <laughs> uh, the, the, this, this final state the, the book of Revelation rolling out, we, we, we see the world um, starting to have the kinds of technologies available at their fingertips so that every Every single man, woman, and child could receive a mark that is described in Revelation 13. Are these things precursors towards that final end game that we see rolling out in the book of Revelation? I think so. Um, does that mean that they're evil necessarily or being used by the Antichrist in a specific way? I, I think not. Um, but I do see the world heading towards this inevitable end. And, uh, and I see the kinds of technologies and uh, logistics being put in place so that the end game can happen. But the end game hasn't started yet. Um, <laughs> when the church is raptured, the world is going to change fundamentally as the Holy Spirit um, uh, and his indwelling presence and sanctifying presence in the world is removed for a period of time and things descend into absolute chaos. Uh, when that happens, um, the mark of the beast will be very apparent um, to to the church, very easy to identify and certainly will conform uh, in every way to what we see in the pages of scripture. Thanks for that question uh, to whoever asked it. It came in as anonymous. Um, Neil Hunter basically says, agree and recommend Augustine and uh, good neighbors. Um, so just another hat tip uh, from Neil. Um, number of questions uh, coming through. I'm just trying to uh, find one. Um, good morning, Mark. As the rapture did not happen yet, so we are not living in the tribulation. Why so much talk about 666, Antichrist, and the mark of the beast concerning the COVID vaccine? Um, so uh, this comes from another another listener. It actually came, I think, either at the same time or a little bit before the last question that I asked. Um, and so uh, why so much talk around these things? Um, so I, I I wouldn't have mentioned it unless it came up both in this question and in the previous question that I read. Um, but I think I, I think for two reasons. One is because the Bible talks about these things. Uh, and so because the Bible talks about these things, Christians are concerned about these things and want to understand these things. Um, let me say that the book of Revelations is precisely that. It is it is revelations. It is like the curtain is being lifted, uh, being unveiled. It's not written that we wouldn't understand what it means. It's written precisely so that when these things happen, we can take great confidence uh, and know that God is in control of all things. The beginning 
all the way through to the end that uh, he has predicted what will happen uh, and given us faithful prophecies that we might be comforted even in the moments of tribulation and by we I mean whoever remains and who is called upon and who calls upon the name of the Lord um, and so we have this revelation in his word which tells us how these things will work themselves out and so th- this interests believers they they are interested in how the end game will happen uh, it also interests a lot of people who are not Christian um, in terms of their belief uh, but who find all of these things so intriguing you know um, uh, marks and scrolls and trumpets and balls and uh, they are fascinated by by the imagery uh, and the apocalyptic kind of language uh, of the whole thing I mean even books get written um, about the kinds of languages the language that we see in the book of Revelation I'm thinking of books like um, was it Dan Brown that wrote that series um, about oh I can't believe I've, I've even forgotten the name um, maybe if you're listening in you can type it in in the comments um, uh, and help me out um, oh the Da Vinci Code and those kinds of things which spoke about very uh, which used the apocalyptic language uh, in the book of Revelation and, and then kind of like uh, put an entire uh, uh, conversation and, and, and fictional narrative around it uh, the reality is uh, people are intrigued by it uh, it's mysterious and uh, and interesting um, basically they love the story without loving God um, and so I, I do think that in some ways uh, the book of Revelation this conversation about the beast the conversation about uh, 666 these things get hijacked by people outside of Christianity to further their own agenda whether that be creating uh, fake news and false stories for whatever nefarious purposes they might have uh, as far as that's concerned or, or because they want to push very specific agendas uh, around uh, either panic or uh, around uh, uh, kind of right-wing politics or left-wing politics or whatever other politics uh, and they want to hijack what the Bible says and then present it in a way which serves their own purposes I get I get a little bit concerned uh, when those kinds of things hit my inbox not because I don't believe that there will be an end game and not because I don't believe that the book of Revelation will roll out exactly like it's written I mean I, I'm I, I read it and whilst I recognize it is apocalyptic that the language uh, is filled with imagery uh, I'm still expecting literal um, uh, literal uh, uh, fulfillment of prophecy and just like the Old Testament fulfillment in Jesus Christ um, was yes and amen and one-eighth of all of the prophetic um, utterances in the Bible were fulfilled in the person of Christ in terms of his first advent I'm expecting the rest of prophecy to be fulfilled in Jesus Christ in his second advent and I'm looking forward to that but at the same time, I, I, I do recognize that this language is hijacked left, right, and center by people who want to ultimately capture um, by tales uh, and by fabrication of imaginative stories um, the Christian voice. 
um, and they do it for their own nefarious gains. Paul spoke about those kinds of people in the book of Colossians. Um, I'm thinking of Colossians chapter 2, where he gives warnings. Uh, He says, um, after he speaks about how he's been struggling, he he says he wants no one to deceive you with arguments that sound reasonable. Um, and, And then he goes on and speaks about the kinds of philosophies that people will use in order to capture the church. I have also noticed um, as a as a side point that, that there's a kind of person who loves to make much about what about the minor matters of God's word and make little about the major matters of God's word. Uh, l- let me explain what I mean by that. Uh, a major theme of scripture is that Jesus Christ came and died as a substitutionary sacrifice for the sins of man, that he rose from the grave on the third day in victory over death, in victory over this world, in victory over sin, and in victory over Satan, and that all men everywhere are called upon to repent, turn from their sins, and put their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ that they might live. That is the power of the gospel and that needs to be what we herald what we proclaim in in jerusalem judea samaria and then to all the ends of the earth that is the commission of jesus christ to his disciples and their disciples in every subsequent generation i found that many people enjoy rather than making much of what the bible makes much of the gospel and the power of the gospel and jesus christ they make much of what the bible makes little about um, they will take romans chapter uh, 13 and what did we say verse 16 and 17 and they will develop an entire narrative and teach seminars uh, on the subject till the cows come home because ultimately it tickles the ears of the listener um, and it is great gain for them and I would be careful of those kinds of conversations now does that mean that the Bible has nothing to say about future things and we as Christians should ignore it no certainly not the Bible has much to say about what will still happen um, and we as Christians should pay attention we should watch and we should wait uh, we need to be like those uh, uh, those virgins uh, with our oil in our lamps and be prepared for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ but we do need to guard ourselves um, from uh, fool's errands and from focusing on that which ultimately doesn't build up but rather just wastes our time silly myths uh, and fables I I don't know if that helps you. Um, I do thank you for the question, though, and for the observations. Folk, so many questions pouring in, so many conversations that we can have. I mean, in reality, we're going to have to leave it for another day um, because we run out of time. How amazing is that? 9 o'clock to 11 o'clock, it goes by in a blink of an eye, an absolute blink of an eye. Um, Maybe in closing, just to say, uh, I really do enjoy answering the kinds of questions uh, which you ask because they're the kinds of questions that all of us have and all of us have to work through. But my great encouragement to you this morning would be where I started and that is this. Find yourself a Bible teaching church, a church that is led by uh, men who love God's word and who are devoted to the teaching of the apostles. Find a church where there is 
sound and healthy biblical theology uh, and then ask questions to your heart's content i have no doubt that you will encourage your pastor no end as you ask the kinds of questions to him that you have even asked uh, on the show today um, because ultimately that's what they are there for their desires to feed the sheep their desires to see men and women built up and edified towards the image of Jesus Christ the whole church uh, might be built up uh, and strengthened and, and, and made strong for the ministry uh, of the gospel and so encourage your pastor uh, even this weekend by asking him one of the kinds of questions that you asked me today Uh, Even as we close out the show this morning, uh, let me just say that our prayers really do go out to all the elders and to the deacons holding the line in local churches all across our country, recognizing that this isn't an easy time to pastor, uh, but this is a time where God has raised you up for a moment just like this. And our prayers also go out to our missionaries who are serving in foreign fields, um, calling the lost to Jesus Christ uh, even in foreign lands Uh, we pray and we give much respect for the kinds of people in our nation um, who are serving us with such excellence over this period first responders uh, paramedics police uh, those who dispense justice our judges um, our prosecutors our firefighters and our nation's nurses and medical personnel uh, as well as correctional uh, correctional services officers uh, and others who serve uh, the public in our nation. Uh, our prayers go out to them. You've been listening to Table Talk with me, your host, Mark. We're going to be going to news shortly. And so until next week, Friday, do go with God and get after it.